You know things are serious when you can't spit on cats anymore. Welcome, my mere modelites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron. I do these reviews for those who want to transcend their own mere mortality. So dive deeper into the books that they're reading, get some more additional juicy information they might not have heard of before, perhaps just want the synopsis and want it broken down. All of these things and more are done within here. And I have for you a book that, given the recent events of past years, is quite pertinent, uh, maybe even pestilent, you might say. Yes, indeed, we have The Plague by Albert Camus. So this book was created, birthed in 1947, and it's about 250 pages in length. So not super, super big. Take you, I don't know, five, six hours, seven, eight, maybe, uh, to read. And it's a novel describing life in a city locked down due to a virus. Hmm, does this sound reminiscent of anything? <laughs> so this was uh, written about Oman uh, with the bubonic plague. And we principally follow a doctor named Dr. Ryu or Ryu and via his work. So he goes around to people within the city and also outside of the, the main city limit. We're not given a, a population, but it's kind of in the millions is, is probably the rough estimate. And basically the city, uh, we, we see from start to finish how the plague is introduced into the city. So first via the coming of rats, spreading it. And then we notice, you know, dogs and animals having different reactions, spreads to humans, starts to get more serious and, you know, get gets to a very serious stage and then dives down again and, until eventually the, the city is freed. And so what we see throughout here is the different responses of people and how their lives change to to this reaction. And you know, there's also not a particular estimate, but it seems like the lockdown lasts less than a year, maybe nine months, something like that. So we get to see the individual lives and then as a collective whole, what people respond to it, how they feel about it, um, and why certain people's reactions are different. And just, well, it's almost like a mental kind of psychological book in, in many ways, although it is told from the person, uh, point of view of a, a, a narrator who is only revealed right at the end who that narrator is. I'm going to talk a little bit about the book itself and, and Albert Camus. So this book obviously uh, is very pertinent due to the COVID lockdowns and the COVID um, epidemic that was spreading in 2020, 2021, and to certain extents in 2022, where I'm recording this now. And this book actually, funnily enough, received uh, it a huge boost in sales when this was happening. So Obviously, a lot of people were interested in, in the book and, uh, you know, maybe they were using it to get through their own experiences, who knows, but uh, it certainly became, um, it, it was already a, a fairly well-known book, probably the the best well-known book of, of Albert Camus, but um, obviously with, you know, the current events, it, it uh, also rose in popularity. You can really see in here, I think, the absurdism and the, the philosophy of that coming through and... Uh, I've sort of covered this before in another of his books, The Myth of Sisyphus, if you want to go check that out. But it's also, uh, I guess, like the lack of meaning that comes from the the pestilence, you could say, and uh, his sort of exploration of that really, that that philosophy of his, which is um, there there is a lack of meaning just in general, I guess, and, and what to do about it is... Um, 
is kind of interesting to to come through here. So if you want to know about absurd philosophy, this is, is it's a good introduction, I would say, because it's not a technical philosophy book. It is actually an interesting tale about you know people responding to a plague, and so that is getting us onto our first theme, which I have labelled pestiferous. Is life inherently tiresome? <laughs> oh, whoa, that's a a bit of a a big question. I actually like the word pestiferous. Uh, when I was doing a bit of research for it, the it kind of has a double definition to two things. So the first is obviously harboring infection or disease. Someone is pestiferous. And then the other is constituting a nuisance or very annoying. Also (laughs) pestiferous. Oh, that's a pestiferous person, something like that. And I think that really plays nicely in this book because you can see, obviously, there's a disease going throughout the town. People are literally dying um, with all of these, um, you know, pustules and things occurring under their armpits. The Dr. Ryu has to go and, and lance them and, you know, everyone's having to wear um, not so much protective measures because they didn't, it seems like they didn't have cloth masks or anything like that. There wasn't too much talk about how they were socially distancing and things like that. But it was saying how the city was entirely locked down. No one could go out. They started to institute curfews. Um, if a family member got it, all the rest of the family had to go into a you know an internment camp of or things like that. So there are some reminiscent things of what actually happened during the the COVID lockdowns as well. So the plague itself in in the story just drags on, and it's it's hardly dramatic. It's a very slow build up. So it's not like it comes and then it spreads wildly we see oh okay there's you know uh uh, three deaths in this week and now there's eight deaths a week later and then now it's it 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 really drags on it's not like oh my god this is going to spread everywhere it's going to be crazy we need to do things now it's kind of like every step along the way it's it's a slow impending kind of doom coming along and and that occurs through through most of the book until we kind of reach a, a turning point at some stage. So there's this uh, a, a good example I've taken from page 148, which is talking about it. So I'll just read this out from here. The truth is that nothing is less sensational than pestilence. And by reason of their very duration, great misfortunes are monotonous. In the memories of those who live through them, the grim days of plague do not stand out like livid flames, ravenous and inextinguishable. Oh, what a word. Becoming like a troubled, uh, beaconing like a troubled sky, but rather like the slow, deliberate progress of some monstrous thing crushing out all upon its path. And that's what you really get from this book. It is this tiresome, just thing that occurs and it goes on and everyone's unhappy about it, but there's nothing you can do about it. And we see a lot of different responses from the different people. So I've kind of labeled them here. We have the exhausted duty of Dr. Rio. So he's the, you know, he's literally going out to patients day and night, um, forming groups to help spread awareness of what to do, what not to do, uh, providing guidance to the municipal municipalities the people in charge of okay this is probably a generally good idea to you know um, evacuate these sorts of people and to put these measures in place we have the energetic action of rambit so this is a journalist from outside of the city who's been locked in there and wants to desperate desperately escape to his loved one and he is just full of energy and he's he's going out there and he's trying to you know sneak out he's trying to bribe people to get out he's exhausted all of these ways of with uh, with those same people in power to get a special leave or privilege or something like that 
Um, we have the elation of Codded, which is really funny. So this was a guy who was uh, under investigation for some sort of crime, which is undescribed. We don't know of, but it's very serious. Uh, he attempts suicide right at the start of the plague. And then because the plague happens, no one can concentrate on him anymore. And so he starts to live the high life and he starts doing you know, some illegal activities and his life gets in way better. And then when the plague stops uh, becoming such a nuisance, the people have more time for, okay, you did some bad stuff in the past. We're going to catch up with you again. And uh, his ending is is uh, actually one of the, the most dramatic things that actually happened in this book, to be honest. We have the troubled faith of Father Penelou. So he's trying to square his religion um, with the, especially after the the death of a young boy, uh, which is probably actually one of the gut-wrenching scenes when you read this book. Um, you'll know it when you come to it because it is very uncomfortable and, uh, you know, kind of brings a tear to your eye as you're reading about this this young boy who is um, suffering from the plague. And we have the quiet courage of Joseph Grant. So this is just kind of the normal person who is, you know, he's not really distinguished in his life. He's, he's kind of just like a middle worker doing statistics for the government, but he helps in his way and is, has this ability to push through uh, even his own exhaustion and, and whatnot to, to do what is good for, for the rest of everyone. So it's, it, you can really see how this pestiferous pestilence is, is just a monotonous grind pretty much on everyone. And although there are different reactions, no one is enjoying what is going on. So it's funny kind of linking this, I guess, to everyday examples. So not just a pestilence, but getting to my question again, is is life inherently tiresome? Well, we saw this with COVID. That was a very tiresome event, I would say, for the entire world. No one, no one enjoyed that. Nine to five work, I think me personally, I, I found that extremely tiresome. Um, dirty floors, if you're cleaning them and then they're just going to get dirty again. Uh, illnesses, obviously, such as cancer and whatnot. To answer the question in general, I think you could have a strong maybe, a strong maybe for why life just in general is is going to be tiresome and there's going to be a lot of just general crappy moments in life where it's like, fuck, I don't want to deal with this. But you have to deal with it because that is life <laughs> and you don't, you don't get an option to it. So <clears throat> to answer that question, you know, obviously a, a, a pestilence, a plague that comes through is going to it's it's going to be one of those things where you can't really put a good spin on it. And uh, some of the characters do try and do this. I think P- Father Panelu tried to do this. I would uh, say that, um, uh, what's his name, Taru might have been kind of trying to do this as well. But in general, no. It's just a inherently tiresome bad thing, which you can't avoid. And this gets us into the second theme, which I took out from this, which is the remedy uh, fighting against the persistent indifference, I guess, is is how I would put put this. So, there is no cure all to this. When you're confronted with something that is just kind of inherently bad, it's inherently tiresome. What are you going to do about it? You can't just cure it. You can't just make it go away. There's no steps and actions you can take. I've avoided talking about up to this point Taru, and he was the one character in this book who I, I thought was an amazing character, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But he knows the fight. He knows the grind. And uh, we see this with his kind of little monologue and a backstory 
where there is no quick fix to solving a, a, a problem like this. And from his activism experience in the past, where he was fighting against the death penalty in, in several countries, I believe, across the world, you can see that his, he, he knows what it is like to fight against something which is just not, it's not responding to, to whatever, what it is that you're trying to solve. And so he, with his activism experience, he, he kind of developed this mentality of, of how you can fight against this persistent indifference. And it's paradoxical and contradictory. <laughs> so the fight means nothing without the swim. And there's, there's a bunch of little, little tidbits that you can take from this to be like, okay, this is maybe how you could respond to a situation like this. So one example is where he and Dr. Ryu are talking, they have this intimate moment together. And after he explains his kind of worldview of how you need to continually have this fight and, and some of the mental things that he does to it, uh, to, to, to be able to maintain the energy and things like that. He says, let's go for a swim. It's kind of, it's kind of illegal, uh, at the moment in the plague, they're not allowed to be doing that, but he was kind of saying the, the respite is what is needed to continue the fight. And so, um, uh, uh, that respite and to, to quote from the book was, uh, it's like a respite for, uh, once again, putting the shoulder against the wheel. Actually, that's not a direct quote. It's a rough quote. So there is this idea that yes, you need to take a small break. It's, it doesn't kind of make sense in the grand scheme of things, but uh, you can't continually be the person who's saving the world. You need to have some time for yourself. Dr. Ryu is sort of like this. He is worn out to the point of exhaustion. And is that helping him solve the situation anymore? No, not really. He's perhaps providing some comfort for people as they're dying, but he's not creating a cure. Um, you know, if his work, if he wasn't there, the work would get done anyway kind of thing. It's, it's kind of like his drop in the bucket, his drop in the ocean of, of effort doesn't really make a difference. But that's, that's kind of how you need to, I suppose, find that inner energy to, to not lose hope and lose faith. And so there was two kind of choices I think you could could use to 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 fight against this this remedy of okay you've got this tiresome inherently tiresome bad situation the plague in this case what are you going to do about it and uh, there was kind of two two things that I I took from this one is there's the the fight so this is where you're ob objectively um, trying to do something outside so i.e. Dr. Ryu he is trying his best to help everyone that he can he's seeking out patients he's you know lancing the the pustules the i think there was like bulbas i can't, I can't remember the actual um, definition that they used for it um and you could maybe say oh, yeah objectively on the outside he is maybe doing something um there is a case to be made for that but certainly subjectively he didn't feel like that he he felt like Man, I'm not. I'm not really making a difference, but I've I've got to do this anyway. This is the what I my my kind of profession. My my response to this plague is is to just do the best that I can. And if I don't know if it's making a difference, it certainly doesn't feel like it. But that is what is going to continue me and carry me through. 
Um, and you know, he had some additional things on the side. His wife was very sick outside of the city and he was, you know, it's a desperate to get to her as well, but couldn't because the, the people there needed him. There is the other kind of idea, which would be more acceptance. So this is where you don't make a, a, a difference outside. So you're not trying to solve the plague. And so there is objectively no change. You're not helping in any sort of way, but maybe within your inner world, you can subjectively just accept it. Be like, okay, you know, I'm now locked down in here. What am I going to do about it? Well, I, I can develop, you know, some meditation practice. I can use this to, um, uh, feel better about myself by, um, you know, saying, oh, you know, I could have died if I'd been outside of it, things like this. This isn't particularly contained within the book, but I, I think it's important to to kind of look at the other idea of this as well, because basically everyone in the book did this fighting style of, of um, and I would say this is maybe a more Western kind of mindset, which is push against the thing, like we'll try and solve it objectively we might be doing a tiny difference but within it doesn't feel like we're doing it and it's like fucking hustle let's just grind and get away with it uh and and i personally i I like the other viewpoint as well which is sometimes you just got to accept things and not fight against it and not hustle and just be content with what you have and be content maybe even with losing what you have and that's okay as well you know sometimes it's it's okay to have both so that was kind of the remedy, I guess, of, of this fighting against this uh, tiresome pestilence, pestiferous thing that was occurring on. And, you know, it doesn't have to just be a, a plague like COVID or the bubonic plague in this case in the book. It could be, you know, a, a family member who is uh, just an absolute asshole and yet you have to help them because they're, you know, your mom's brother or something like that. And, you know, he, he would die without your help or... I don't know. I think I think there's everyone could probably find a certain thing particular to their life which is just inherently tiresome. There's not anything they can really do about it, and yet, how do you respond to that? And there are different ways of going about it. I'm going to now just go into a couple of my observations and takeaways, my kind of personal type ones, and I felt there were some really memorable characters in this, as I referred to right at the start. I love that it was this tiny section of the book. It, it probably was less than a page in total talking about this this uh, this character, but it was about an, an old man, maybe two pages, about an old man who liked to spit on cats. And basically, he would go to his balcony, he would tear up pieces of paper and and float it down, and the cats would come uh, kind of like come below him and and claw at the air trying to catch these pieces of paper, and then he'd spit on them. <laughs> just for the i don't know joy for working on his aim who knows like there's no there's no real we don't get to explore the the deep psychological reasons for doing this uh, but i thought it was hilarious i th- i just thought man this is such a it's it's such a small piece of the book but it it stuck out at me as being just a really funny memorable character so you have that in in the sense of a, a really small one and then there's also Taru, uh, I think his name is Jean Taru, perhaps. Uh, I can't, can't remember exactly. But there was this one scene in particular. So his monologue from page 200 to 210, which was, uh, I, I just found it am- amazing. I, I, I can't particularly explain what it was that was contained within it. 
that I felt was really important and, and had a lot of truth to it. But it it felt it caught my attention. As soon as that sort of scene started to happen, I was dialed into the book, reading every single, you know, reading every single, making sure I read every single word. I reread it probably two or three times just to to really let it sink in. So um, there was a big build up, and and th- this was amazing. And I'll, I'll conclude in the summary about why I really enjoy, enjoyed this as well. So memorable characters was one thing. And then also I think it was one of those books where you can really add or take out whatever you want from it. And there's something really cool about books that can do this. 1984, I feel, is another one where you you can take out so many different things from it and you can examine it from 10 different angles and use analogies and, um, you know, what does this represent, this sort of thing. Um, I feel there's a whole lot you can take from it. And so what was Taru fighting, for example? Was he fighting against um, the death penalty? Was he fighting against the government? Was he fighting against death itself? I think there's just many different ways you can pluck an individual character and some of the things that they say and and some of the quotes and, and really examine and dive deep into it. So it's one of those books where it's just, I don't know what it is, 1984, like I mentioned, has this very similar effect on me where I can read it and just go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to read this again at some point because I've, I, I want to see a different side of, of things. So uh, highly recommended for, for if, you're, if you're similar to me in, in that respect. So we'll go into the summary. And personally, I did find it a slow start to the tale. So, but I think this made it more impactful overall. So, as I said, the, the main scene there was page 200, which, which really captured my attention, which is about four-fifths of the way into the book. But I feel that slow start built the groundwork for the subsequent just jam-packed ending that, that, was happed, uh, that happened. Not that the ending itself was um, dramatic. There was no valiant heroes saving the day. There was no chaotic villains uh, it was a simple story about a plague that came and went, very much like COVID. And what one takes from this book, um, I feel, will change. And so this is where that payoff really occurs at the end, where you you can read this book many multiple times and, and you will find new things from it each time. So um, highly enjoyable. I'll give it a 8 out of 10, The Plague by Albert Camus. And yet I feel like this is maybe doing it a little bit of injustice the only reason I gave it eight out of ten was just because this the slow start. It it there was a period where I was like, mm, I don't know if it's like is this worth continuing on? But I'm glad I did continue on with it because um, that that scene in particular of of Taru uh, and his monologue with Doctor Ryu it's fantastic. I love it. So definitely will reread again at some point. And that is it for today, my Memo lads. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What were your thoughts on the plague? Were you one of the people who mass bought the book after the epidemic of COVID? Is life inherently tiresome? <laughs> I would love to know all of these things. And I would really love for you to do that via Boostergram. So a Boostergram is a message that you can write to directly within the podcasting app. So if you're in one like Fountain or Podverse or CurioCaster, you can send me a message directly uh, whilst listening to this 
audio, which I think is very cool. It, it does it come with a payment as well, a, uh, a mess, a attachment of value um, of Satoshi's, which is a portion of a Bitcoin. This is a value for value podcast. So everything that I do, I do um, free for you. You can consume it wherever, however you want, and you don't need to give anything back. But I do request that you return something back and it doesn't have to be just a, a support in a monetary form. You could uh, you know, give me a higher uh, a rating on iTunes if you wanted to do. You could reach out and give me other book recommendations, which I also quite enjoy. All of these different things are, uh, you know, an aspect of the book that I perhaps missed. Whatever you, way you want to do it, I don't particularly mind. It's uh, it's up to you. And so the value that you return is uh, completely what you got from this book. So and from this book review. So if you really enjoyed it, if you thought I had some great points, I would love for you to share that back in whatever way that you want, but I do um, prefer if you do it via Boostergram because I read those out at the end of month recaps and I can uh, return, complete the value loop and then show acknowledgement that I actually received the, the value you gave back to me and then we can spread it all over the world and everything will be beautiful. So <laughs> thank you very much. It'll be like a value for value plague that will spread. Yes. So thank you very much. For, for joining. I do hope you have a fantastic non-pestiferous day wherever you are in the world. Karen out.